the year 10,191. In this time, the most precious substance in the universe is the spice melange. The spice extends life. The spice exists on only one planet in the entire universe. The planet is Arrakis, also known as Son, a podcast about you. Hey there, Sandies. Welcome to Sand, a podcast about Dune. This is our final episode about book one. Um, we'll be talking about the last three chapters and the movies we watched. So, hi, Lance. Hey, Molly. How are you doing? Oh, pretty good. I can't believe we're already here at the end. I know. Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, it seems like it's been forever. (laughs) (laughs) Because we've been reading, you know, I read it slower than I would read a book normally, I think. And I think it also kind of because it lines up with the pandemic. So it's like, it feels like forever since that started. Yeah. And we're kind of slowly coming out of it. So I guess it's an appropriate time to be ending Dune. Yeah, we'll definitely be diving into that. But first, you want to talk about some movies? Yeah. So I watched Boy, Castaway, The Great Muppet Caper, King of New York, Enemy, and Seconds. Cool. I've barely heard of any of those. <laughs> well, so I'll highlight Boy first. Boy is like a Taika Waititi movie. It's good. It's about a Maori kid growing up in New Zealand in the 80s. He's like obsessed with Michael Jackson and his mother has gone away. Or no, his mother is dead. His grandmother, who he lives with, has gone away and left him kind of in charge of his siblings and and I think cousins. And his dad comes back to visit. Mm-hmm. During this time, and his dad's like a an ex-con, shitty absentee dad who's really only come back to find some money that he buried before he went to prison. But it's kind of about their relationship and like them getting to know each other. It's also very silly. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. It has lots of heart. It's also very funny. It has that, you know, Taika Waititi charm to it. Yeah, great. I loved it. Nice. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, it was good. I definitely recommend it. What else to visit? I guess Enemy. Enemy is a D- uh, Denis Villeneuve movie. Mm, good. Uh, it's got Jake Gyllenhaal, who plays this guy who watches a movie and sees an extra in it who looks exactly like him. So mm-hmm. he tracks the guy down. And they are, like, it's, you know, also played by Jake Gyllenhaal. And these guys kind of get freaked out. And it's just, like, kind of their experiences together. It's not at all what I was expecting. Because it's kind of like, it would presented itself as kind of a thriller. Uh-huh. But then and it's it, just it like a Buddy Stoner movie. <laughs> no, no. And and I did think that was going to, it kind of started like it might be like that. Yeah. Um, and it's, it is very serious. How? Why? Well, also, Jake Gyllenhaal, I feel like, looks like 9,000 people off the top of my head. Right, but he looks exactly like, it's like, yeah, literally, it's, they're the okay, same Okay, that would be weird, yeah. 
I guess I've never um, seen anybody who looks exactly like me. Yeah. Like, if you met yourself, you'd probably freak out, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, down to, like, a scar they have is mm-hmm. the same in the same place. Yeah, so they're both in relationships. Jake Gyllenhaal, one, is, like, this kind of uh, poor guy who lives in, like, an apartment with almost no furnishings. He's a professor. He has a relationship with a woman, a girl friend who they seem to only have like a physical relationship they get together hook up and like don't don't really have any emotional connection and then jake gyllenhaal too is a little bit more successful he's got like a really nice apartment he has a pregnant wife there's suggestions that uh he's cheated on her before there's also a scene where he goes to some kind of crazy sex club and watches naked women kind of parade in and out uh mm. and masturbate and uh <laughs> and one of them steps on a spider okay uh and so they, it's just them kind of like is the spider radioactive no but the spider is like comes in and out throughout the entire thing there's these weird dream sequences where like he he sees a woman with a spider head and I don't want to ruin the ending, but the spider comes in, like, big time at the end. What? Okay. <laughs> um, it's really weird. It, yeah. it just, it kind of, like, it ended up being more of a, like, weird indie movie than I was expecting. It, right. it presented itself as, like, a straightforward thriller. Like, oh, was this guy going to turn into an obsessive killer and, like, stalk this guy? And, you know, is it going to be that kind of movie? But it's really more about these two guys who want to, like, sample each other's lives. Okay, well, I feel like all the other movies just had one word, and they all just went in one year and out the other. Oh, yeah, let's just go with the other single word one of Seconds. Okay. <laughs> Seconds is a John Frankenheimer film from the, like, late 60s. It's about um, an old man. He's kind of old. Who, like, comes across this company... That will do surgery on you to make you look like a young man um, and then have you essentially killed off so that you can start a new life. And so they they replace your body. They find someone who looks like you and they get rid of like the fingerprints and stuff and get rid of the like the teeth. And then they change you enough to where you're a new person so you can live a new life as a new young man. And he becomes Rock Hudson. They like do surgery. That's on, funny. On him, becomes Rock Hudson, <laughs> and it started out really good, and then it kind of gets lost in being a weird '60s movie with like where they're dancing a lot and stuff. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yes. There's this scene where like he meets this woman on the beach, and he's like trying to like you know become social again. So he decides to like kind of connect with her, and she's like, "I'm going to go to this." party this weekend and he's like can i come and she's like well it gets pretty wild and it cuts to these people like playing flutes and oh that's fun like marching through the woods and i was like that's not the wild i was expecting (laughs) at all that was the 60s wild it's like the wicker man kind of feel yeah well yeah exactly had a wicker man feel and then they all like get drunk and naked and and uh drink wine uh, it's like a literal bacchanal, and like they mm-hmm. get inside a big. Uh, wow, this movie sounds awesome. Wooden. It starts out really awesome. We watched a lot of orgy movies this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then the movie to me just kind of fades out after that. Like it doesn't really go anywhere. And I got sleepy, and I think 
that's the movie that I was like, I need to look this up and see what it is I missed because I clearly missed something. There was a point to it that I just completely missed. Interesting. Wow. I've never heard of that, but it sounds quite good. It's the movie he did right after the Manchurian Candidate. Oh, yeah. Which I also really like. Yeah, that movie I've only tried to watch once and I think I fell asleep. But I did like it. It was fun. All right. I watched The Last Black Man in San Francisco, Love Jones, Ex Machina, uh, A League of Their Own, and Losing Ground. I guess the first one I'll talk about is Losing Ground, which is a movie by Kathleen Collins, who I knew as a short story writer and a playwright. But I Mm -hmm. guess she also directed a movie in the 80s. And it was so good. I just loved it. I mean, you can tell she comes from a short story writer background because the movie was just like beautifully symbolic (laughs) and composed and funny and just has such a wonderful arc to it. It's about a married couple. She's a professor and is like doing her dissertation on ecstasy and the source of it. And she herself is a bit like stable um, in her personality, uh, almost cold. And then she, her husband's this abstract painter who's very, very charming and um, also super insecure. <laughs> He's just like trying to make his mark in every way. And um, so he starts philandering with a woman. And she, I guess he's been kind, that's sort of in his personality, his wife decides to take this part in a movie uh, with this very <laughs> wonderful actor who says he's reincarnated and he's got all this great backstory. Um, and then they kind of all come together and it's fun to see them. They're living in this house in like the Catskills where they're both artists and residents, I suppose. And they have this like little party where both, you know, the husband and wife and their two misters, mistresses are present. Yeah. I mean, it's just subtle and really, but also just, so wonderful the characters in it were so great and the acting was great so i loved it couldn't recommend it more awesome Um, yeah and then um i guess yeah uh i also did really like love jones um which i hadn't seen it's just like a rom-com kind of i mean it's not corny i feel like all rom-coms mostly have other than Nora Ephron movies have just like this total annoying corniness to them where uh-huh. like every apartment is super fake and they go to like two store, you know, they go to their workplace that's also extremely fake looking mm-hmm. and everything just looks so uh, plastic and they're like, there's some conceit like, you know, she has the memory of a thousand <laughs> women or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's a Benny Gesserit rom-com. <laughs> Um, but they have a funny friend. Yeah, there's always just like such a formula to it. But this is just like a nice movie that happened to be funny. Like it was a romantic movie mm. that happened to be funny. Um, and it was about, and it's very, very 90s. It's like this woman in Chicago, um, meets this guy at a poetry club <laughs> and he's mm-hmm. like a poet. And then they kind of like start this romance. Her like ex husband comes back to town and asks if she'll come with him to New York. And her new boyfriend, like, won't say that she should stay. And so then they just, like, keep missing each other for, like, years. Not years. It just, it's very, it's maybe, like, it's not, like, um, every year they see each other. Again, it doesn't have a corny conceit or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just that they, like, it's a nice portrait of a, of a relationship, I suppose. Yeah, it was, it was really 
It was really great. And there were like friends in it, but the friends were all felt very real and had a lot of personality. So loved it. Yeah. It was nice. smart. Well, what'd you think about Last Black Man in San Francisco? Oh, I loved it. And I actually really liked the ending. I thought the ending was kind of perfect for it. I loved that it was all about this one house, basically. Right. You know, it's it's like about this house and this idea of a place that you feel really connected to and want some claim over. The story he had of his grandfather building the house, just I felt like was a, was a great anti-gentrification kind of. Right. It like winds up feeling, you know, you see the open house with this, uh, all these like white people looking through it and they have this like really stupid modern furniture in that like gorgeous old house. And it just looks like, yes, this is what they do with houses now. It's just, there's no like history to it. It's just kind of this grotesque (laughs) juxtaposition. And then, yeah, when he's like boating at the, it just kind of felt like, being attached to a house is sort of not even the right way to describe wanting to be settled in a place. So when he's like on the water, I just found it really moving. <laughs> it like wound up being less about like, oh, gentrification in San Francisco. And all of a sudden it felt like, oh, this is more of a human feeling of displacement. Once you get past that, then you can kind of connect to like a friendship. Anyway, I just thought it was beautifully made. I really loved it. I just want to say real quick that Ex Machina is so much like stranger than I remembered it. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. And also not. It like, yeah, anyway, I just, yeah. Is that what you were hoping I was going to ask about? Kind of. I thought you would. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Shall we get into some Dune talk? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so I did look up a term. I was looking into Arrakis. Which, uh, on the Dune wiki, it says it's believed to have come from the Arabic name El Arrakis, meaning the dancer. And it's originally a name for the star Mu Draconis, which I think is actually in Duneverse. It's not, like, in the world. It also could have been from the Arabic word El Aragis. So El Aragis, it's a little different, um, which means the cheap one or the less worthy But then I saw this guy's theory online that it's a... Because this hasn't been confirmed in any way. His idea was that it was from the word Iraq, which is a type of uh, Middle Eastern liqueur infused with anise seed. So it's an Arabic word that means sweat, and it's a spice-infused drink. Oh. Um, And wearing a stool suit causes one to drink sweat, so maybe... And then, <laughs> yeah, so he got real clever with that. But then I, he actually did cite this pretty cool resource, which was like, they basically did what I have been doing on Megalite, <laughs> where they go through like every chapter and kind of talk about the terms and the entomology, like in each chapter. So that's neat. And then the final theory is that it's just a rack, mostly because of the large presence of oil and um, that Dune is widely theorized to be, you know, uh, spices, oil. Right, right. Yeah. So those are the theories. Um, I do like his uh, liqueur one, but I kind of think it was probably just a rock. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It <laughs> just think... makes the most sense. Yeah, it does. I, only, I just wanted to mention the uh, definition of jihad. I think there's so much to read about what jihad actually means in mm-hmm. the Islamic sense. Um, and it's 
pretty complicated. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Frank Herbert does it much justice, really, um, in the end, because he keeps just referring to it as basically religious war, um, mm-hmm. blind religious war. And I think that it actually has quite a bit of nuance to it. But the two definitions that Google presented me with <laughs> are a struggle or fight against the enemies of Islam mm-hmm. or a spiritual struggle within one's oneself against sin. Yeah. So those are the basic definitions. But again, it's, yeah, this might be something I like want to read about before we do our wrap up episode, just because I do think he leans on a very like blunt definition of jihad. Awesome. Well, let's dive into the book. Obviously, we are here at the end. It is the last three chapters of Dune. Uh, We start with our chapter nine. Paul, Still, and Gurney are like preparing for battle. They're looking in at the city. They see the Emperor's ships floating above the city and uh, talking about their plan. A sandstorm will come. Once it hits, they'll have to turn down the shield walls and that's when they'll start attacking specifically the nose of the, these ships so they can't fly away yeah pretty good plan yeah strong plan using the desert that literal desert power oh yeah right love it. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah so like during this conversation stilgar expresses some personal prejudice against city men yeah so we get a little peek at the idea of of the desert, like the Fremen who live in the desert and then the Fremen who live within the cities and how there's kind of this like prejudice against the people who live in the cities. Well, yeah, I mean, they make it clear that the people in the cities have been like pretty, you know, have been oppressed and mm. um, maybe even like have prejudice back towards the Fremen. It's just like a divide. It's why they've divided between the two and that that, it's probably deliberate, so prejudice is the right word. And it's been, it was interesting hearing them talk about, like, the city people waking up. Yeah, the thing I thought was funny about this part was, well, Stilgar and Gurney keep bringing up worries they have, and Paul's just like, no, <laughs> that's right. not a problem. Nope, I'm not, that, I'm not worried about that. <laughs> they just, it just, like, he says that a zillion times, so he's just like, uh. Yeah, Paul's, like, confidence level yeah, it's at the, the end of this book is, yeah, is, is a little insane. It's, <laughs> it's definitely through the roof. And we start to, like get the idea i mean this is jumping ahead a little bit we start to get the idea that like maybe that's not a good thing we don't really know if this is truly leading where paul wants it to lead um yeah so i don't know so yeah they're basically just like sitting on the outside rim and chatting about what's gonna happen (laughs) Mm -hmm. um what do you think arakim looked like i just imagine a bunch of like tall buildings sticking out in the middle of the desert like Metal buildings? Yeah, they 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 seem kind of metal in my head, but I think that's just because I've seen like a lot of illustrations. Yeah, that just kind of use like generic future-looking cities in them. That's so weird to me that it would be like a future-looking city on the middle of Arrakis. Like what? I guess because we've been in Sitch Sitchland. So. Right, exactly, exactly. And I think that it's supposed to be, like, in contrast to that, right? Right. Like, it's the idea of, like, that's where a duke would stay. That's where, like, Ugh. you know, uh, a baron would stay. Yeah, it's a bunch of, like, those new farmhouse-style houses or something. Right. <laughs> that are just, like, everywhere. Yeah, sign of the invader. 
like just looking at it, I can imagine a Fremen just being like, "Ooh, I hate the people that live there," and like you know, just seeing it kind of fuel that prejudice. Yeah, totally. They flesh out exactly what's gonna happen, and then it just happens. But I did need this scene. I if it if it had just happened, I I mean, like it was already happening so fast. It was the anticipation that I needed before, like, just jumping hardcore into... And, you know, that's, that's like, the style of this book is not to jump into a big battle and show us this big battle. Like, right. you know, that's that's not how this book is. So I didn't, I didn't want to just jump into a big battle. Oh, yeah, this is the part where he says, um, well, where Stilgar says, it's just that they haven't yet learned how to escape their bondage. We'll teach them, which is a little condescending, but <laughs> whatever. Uh-huh. And then uh-huh. um, Paul says, you see, gentlemen, they have something to die for. They've discovered their people, their awakening. So, I, yeah, I don't know how they're getting that message to them, but I guess they are. It's, it's another one of those things of like, oh, we realize there's, there's been this thing going on for a long time. Right, it right, just right. hasn't been touched on. Yeah, and so then uh, we're, you know, the... We get the first sign of the emperor and his little mind games. He pl- he puts up because somehow he like gets whiff that Paul's there and alive, right? He like somehow figures that out. Don't they say that? And then it's like, oh, now that he knows that I'm here, he'll put up a flag. That part was a little confusing to me because I didn't I didn't really understand how the timeline ran into each other. Because at first I was like, oh, he knows because because Paul let those Sardaukar go. And the Sardaukar oh, yeah. inform the Emperor, and the Emperor has to decide, am I on Team Paul or am I on Team, you know, Harkonnen? Harkonnen. He's on Team Chum, yeah. which obviously... Yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah, he's on Team Money. Well, I guess things are just starting to get exciting. Like, everybody's... The storm's brewing. Mm-hmm. Everybody's underneath, uh, like, ready, about to go... I mean, are they going underground? They are in a cave. I think they're about to leave from underground because he's he's outside. He's outside the whatever stronghold they're in right now, and it's starting to get mm-hmm. light. Because like, that's the first concern mm-hmm. they express is like it's getting light. You need to go back inside. But yeah, so they're kind of going back and forth on whether to use atomics and when to use them. Apparently, it's like some frowned upon part of the deal. Yeah, yeah, it's frowned upon. You're not supposed to do that. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, so then, you know, they get that radio transmission and and Paul learns that Leto Jr.'s been killed. I, I wondered if you listened to the audiobook version of this I'd, where he says much static. Do you remember how he said it? Because <laughs> I just kept the, I thought that was funny that he kept saying much, this Fedekin just kept saying much static. Yeah, much static. So I wondered if it rem- if he said because I think you had said that they use Cockney accents or something for yeah. But so one thing about the audiobook is that there are actors that read for parts, but only in about uh-huh. a fifth of the of the audiobook. The majority of it is read by a single person who d- who kind <laughs> yeah. of does voices, but not really. And then they'll just drastically like switch to the actors reading a chapter and then sometimes in the middle of the chapter it just switches back to <laughs> the main narrator doing all the voices so i don't know if they ran out of, <laughs> of money for actors yeah because there's all yeah that's what our emailer said yeah. he said it's the weirdest it uh yeah audiobook <laughs> yeah it is it is really weird and they have like yeah they have maybe three actors and <laughs> only one woman she does all the the Irulan quotes at the beginning of each chapter and she is also lady jessica 
So it's we it's sure. weird to have this like same woman's voice be like Paul's lover, Paul's mother. Well, all of the women in Paul's lives do kind mm-hmm. of rotate mm-hmm. <laughs> duties, yeah. so it isn't totally totally inappropriate for the book. I guess I always assumed it was read by a woman, which you know, hey, I prefer. There's it. my implicit bias. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I couldn't picture it being read by a man, but all right. Much static. Much yeah, static. Yeah, so I mean, this guy is just like scribbling. He's almost auto writing. <laughs> and then it says, they blank son of Muad'Dib. And that Aaliyah is captured. Paul just like knows. He's like, Aaliyah's been captured. Yeah. Leto's dead. Then <laughs> I think this chapter ends so weird. Oh, no. When, yes. Yeah. So I thought Paul, so Paul is like suppressing, hardcore suppressing his wave of grief like he does. Yeah, he's pretty little stopper in there. Yeah, even though we've never met the son, so I had no attachment to him. I thought it was a weird choice. This this goes along with this like kind of rushed ending thing where I feel like right. they gave him a son because they wanted us to feel for him when he got killed, but we never met the son. And I think Herbert ran out of time. I think, honestly, it just feels like Herbert ran out of time. The time between where he rides the sandworm and when he comes to this final battle is way too rushed. That's the only thing I just wish there was just more information. Mm -hmm. So if there are other stories or something, I'll probably supplement that. Maybe that's what I'll look at. And I'm hoping uh, in the movie, maybe he takes a little bit of liberty there just to make it feel a little bit like lived in. Maybe we'll actually see... Leto too. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they do show him at one point. I I guess I can remember that, but I certainly was not too affected by this. Yeah, um, and and it even like it, it was kind of weird because like so, Johnny and Jessica are in a different location. They're not at the same CH as Leto Junior. So like, who is mm-hmm. watching their son, their infant son? Alia. Well, and probably Hara. Yeah, I guess that's that's true. And we don't we don't even hear anything about Hara. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, yeah. And so then we get this line <laughs> where it says something seemed to chuckle and rub its hands within him. Yeah, I ran that over over and over that line. I was just like, what is is he? I thought I misunderstood the word chuckle. Like I was like, wait, chuckle and rub. <laughs> I was like. But yeah. you're imagining like <laughs> obviously like a minion, yes, like a little minion. Yeah, like how the how little the universe knows about the nature of real cruelty, and it was like, whoa, okay, the, all of a sudden a supervillain. Yeah, he like all of a sudden was the supervillain of the book. Yeah, it's bizarre. Like, what part of him is chuckling, and what is it chuckling at? Is it chuckling uh, at how awful things are? Uh, maybe it's that like the universe knew he needed this fuel. To go do something callous? I don't know. Maybe if his son was still alive, he would feel more attached to Jihad, to, well, his version of Jihad, or, like, the Fremen in general, and he wouldn't be able to, like, do what he needed to do. This is my guess. Mm-hmm. But the how little the universe knows about the nature of real cruelty. What? The universe does know. He's the universe. I don't... I, there's, there's a few parts in this where I'm like... Because later he talks about Count Fenring. We'll get to this, but like where uh, he's like, why haven't I seen Count Fenring? Um, Maybe he's the one who kills me. And like, why haven't I been shown Count Fenring? So like, who's doing the showing? There's like not 
enough acknowledgement of God, I suppose, <laughs> or some God that or universe or something that's like. Well, he meant he he meant like in his visions. Well, I know, but seen. who's showing the visions? Right, the spice. The spice, the yes, but there's some wisdom to it, especially if it's yeah. like I'm going to withhold your killer. But I mean, that's that. It's it's intentionally not siding with one religion over another, right? Like, oh yeah, definitely. Like the book definitely suggests a higher power is probably yes. involved somehow. Yes, but the, you know that's I think why they're mixing so much, so many ideas of different religions in there because they don't and they don't want to side and say this one religion is is what's driving this. Right? Well, sure, but yeah, I guess I guess that's fine. I'm not really interested in whatever religion it is. I'm just interested in what the higher power is. <laughs> well, that tips which religion it is. Why? Right? I don't think so. I mean, reli- because I each think religion the higher has a power- different version of the higher power. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I I guess maybe the whole concept of religion is important to the politics of the book and to the politics of the world. But there is another side of like the spiritual, which he does a good job of kind of talking about both mm. sides of this. But it's in these moments where I'm like, can we get a clue at who this higher power is? Or yeah. like, is it yeah. wiser than Paul? You know, like, I don't need anything religious. It's just more like, what is this power? Right. Um, and definitely, I, you know, I think it's this mate, you know, it's a Dune power. It's not like, a, <laughs> yeah. you know, Christian God or an Allah power or something like that. Anyway, yeah, it was just a, a real twist. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird moment that I still don't exactly understand. If it's supposed to be a glimpse at like this, what this cruel version of Paul, right? Like, is it is it supposed to be a glimpse of like this tyrant that Paul could become? Well, yeah, I think it's just like okay, he's been wounded. This wound could unleash cruelty. I guess that brings us to chapter ten. We are now with the Baron. And Shaddam four, Shaddam four, the emperor, uh-huh. and the emperor is pissed. Yeah, he's um, <laughs> he's hot to trot. He's really mad at the Baron, mm-hmm. which the Baron is surprised by. Which uh, why? <laughs> I mean, it's like he had no idea who the emperor was. This seems almost comedic to me. Yes, it was funny. It's like. We're seeing the way, like, where the Baron gets this cycle of uh, abuse, right? Like, the Baron is now being bullied the way he bullies other people. And it feels very, like, middle school. Because now the Baron's like, oh, I'm sorry, your majesty. <laughs> like, he's a, he's a little sniveling coward mm-hmm. now. Um, and, the, and the Emperor's bossing him around and threatening to kill him. Once we enter this this part, everything from here is like soap opera level fun. Mm-hmm. Like I love yeah. it from here on out. It is so oh, yeah. fun. And yeah, like just, yeah. So it starts with, yeah, like you're saying like this, all of a sudden the Baron is just made to be as pathetic as he is. They like bring in this quartz, you know, this beautiful quartz throne for the emperor to just sit on. Which is also really funny. Yes, it is funny. I was like, <laughs> why did pages brought the throne oh my god yeah. like they just carry in this throne that he's supposed and it's to like have. a crazy like see-through quartz it's cool throne. yeah it reminded it like would seem like it could have like an aquarium inside of it <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like real <laughs> i love the idea of fish in there <laughs> yeah it just had like an 80s kind of like bachelor pad <laughs> something yeah 
blue green translucency yeah. shot through with streaks of yellow fire. <laughs> yeah, so it's like a well, I don't know, a Ed Hardy. Ed Hardy, yeah, yeah. it was like an Ed Hardy throne. It's very like garish, and the fact that like the emperor is like pissed off. He wants to talk to the baron. He's yeah, he's losing. waiting. He's... he's tapping his foot and waiting for them to bring the throne in. <laughs> yeah. He's like pissed off about losing so many people like old old men and women have killed off his Sardaukar and he's like so mad but he's like all right bring in my throne I have to sit in my throne yeah it's just so silly I know there's like a five minute pause where they're all just kind of like shuffling about <laughs> mm-hmm. and then we're introduced to Princess Irulan a woman mm-hmm. they said was being trained in the deepest of the Bene Gesserit ways pretty cool right the emperor snaps at the bear and because he's lost track of Thufir. Yeah, he sent him on a mission. <laughs> I mean, whatever. He's, yeah, he sent him on this mission to like... Why Why would you send Thufir on this mission? Yeah, Thufir like, is a slow-moving guy. <laughs> he's not a foot soldier. He's no. not like a like go spy on Muad'Dib. Bring the information to Thufir and, and present him the information. Yes, he's a, a man to be always by your side in your little palatial area of planning mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Yeah. So then the question is, he's been gone for five days. We know what his mission was. Uh-huh. Uh, but where do you think he went? Hooters. <laughs> <laughs> he's slurping down wings. Drunk. So drunk. <laughs> sloppy. <laughs> no. Dufer kind of like wins me back a little bit this time. But I do think he was uh, ogling babes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and so then the Baron, like, says, oh, yeah, Thufir's, like, being poisoned. Ha, 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 I'm so clever. And the the Emperor's like, oh, very clever of you, Baron. He's unimpressed. Yeah, he's like, but aren't you worried? <laughs> yeah. And then the Baron, I like... I am worried. <laughs> but he clearly is lying. He wasn't worried. Yeah. And then he's like, yeah, no, I'm worried. Yeah, and then the Reverend Mother emits a cackling laugh. Yeah. She cr- she's, like, whispering in the Emperor's ear. <laughs> yeah. I imagine her just, like, bouncing around. Like, she's just, like, almost like a glow globe where she could just, like, turn around and be above <laughs> him. Like, hee hee ha ha ha. I don't know. She's just... She's uh, fully tri- tricky right now. I, I don't know. It's almost like he's like her puppet, it seems like, at point. Yeah, it's very um, warm tongue with uh, Theoden. Yes. That actually, uh, I think, gives him... More credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, sh- he's kind of... I mean, he's like Theoden if he wasn't, like, sucked of life and just was right, like, oh, yeah, right. warm tongue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then they wheel out... Aaliyah comes in and... He describes her voice. He says, it's a thin voice with traces of a soft palate lisp, but clear nonetheless. So mm-hmm. actually, David Lynch depicted it very well, Pretty I think. Well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he he really made her like off-putting in a really good Super way. Super off-putting because he gave her like a gap tooth and she just looked like a kid. Yeah. And then had a, a, an adult woman voice her. Well, okay. I'm going to do my, my impression of her real quick. I'm just going to read it. He doesn't appear much, does he? One frightened, fat old man too weak to support his own flesh without the help of suspensers. <laughs> She's so, like, I like her lisp. Yeah, it's pretty great. Well, she says a lot of great lines, but my favorite one is she says, Make him afraid some more, Shaddam. I shouldn't enjoy this, but I find the pleasure impossible to suppress. Oh, oh yeah. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah, it's really funny. Oh, yeah, yeah, so she speaks, the Baron's like, whoa, okay, my god. 
The Baron is freaked out. The bear, and then when he starts saying, when they're like, obviously there were people in the South, obviously. And the Baron's mm. like, but the worms, the sand. And it's like, can you imagine a scenario where someone could beat a worm? Like, just if you can imagine that, then yes, you can accept that there are people out there. But he's just like, no, there's worms. And then it made me think how I wish I could see a scene where Baron did see a worm. I just wonder what it would be like if he tried to, like, catch one. <laughs> ride. Well, I mean, the Baron couldn't do that. Obviously. But, I mean, yeah. has he even ever seen a worm? So I do imagine the Baron's been to Arrakis and has been, like, taken on one of those, like, Little you know, rides. rides. Yeah. yeah. And maybe they even give him, like, an elephant gun to shoot at the worm if he wanted to. <laughs> yeah. From the Thopter. He paid, like, $50,000 to be able to shoot one. Yeah. So I just love how much... The Reverend Mahayam is like freaked out by Aaliyah. Oh yeah, she's just like, this is a freak! Yeah, she's so yeah. scared. An abomination! An abomination. Yeah. She's like cowering in fear. Her eyes are like wide. Yeah, she she's like hissing at her. Jessica's done what we should never have done. Like, no one should have done this. Which is, I guess, drink the water of life with a child. Yeah. 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 Just because uh, it's freaky? Is that the only reason? <laughs> I don't know. I guess because she it would create the abomination. I guess is what 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 it is to her. This is an, an abomination. Yeah, maybe it's that she's too close to like life force, so she that's why she can like jump into other people's future memories. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like, so if you're Benny Jesuit, you just have Aaliyah in your mind now. Yeah, like, you, <laughs> yeah. You've <laughs> all, like, they all had up. to plug in and like get a software yeah. upgrade. Now they have Aaliyah. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, "Get out of my head!" Yeah. And Aaliyah is so funny. She's just, like, having the best time, like, saying the worst things to them. And I love it. My brother has promised to have your head atop his battle standard, and I think he shall. <laughs> and the Emperor's kind of unimpressed by her. He's just like, shh, be quiet. Hush, child. To hear, a, a, essentially, a toddler say these things well, is yeah. so funny. I also think it's cool that she's, like, a supreme being, and she cannot stop just, like, talking back to everybody. Like, yeah. it's not like she's, like, holy or all moral or quiet or, you know, speaking with, like, oracle. She's not, like, an oracle. She's, like, ha-ha, like, I'm in your head. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're... My brother's going to put your head on a stake soon. And it's just like funny. She's not like yeah. being, um, she has all this wisdom, but she's pure chaos. And I love it. She's really exactly. dangerous. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then the emperor says TP. <laughs> and t oh, that wrote that down too. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, cool. Come on. Even in the 60s, they knew that TP was toilet paper, right? Like, right. Well, did you, yeah. what do you think it stood for? I thought telepathy. It, yeah, telepathy. Yeah. I know. It was so funny. It was like, oh, the emperor is slangy. He likes slang words. <laughs> yeah. TP. She couldn't be using TP. Oh, yeah. Telepathy? <laughs> no, she's, well, it's more, it's more complicated than that. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how Aaliyah is just like completely shutting down the emperor's authority. Yeah. Like, the emperor's like, so tell Paul that we'll kill you if he doesn't come here. And she's like, nah. No. Not gonna do that. Abs no, no way. I shall not do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, and then comes the best part, Sam. Oh yeah. So well they get attacked. Yeah. The oh you're saying yes, they got they get attacked. Right. 
the ship shakes because yes. they've been the attacked. The nose, the noses of the ships have been taken off, and and uh, yeah, the emperor. And the like, emperor's I mean, just like, hmm, we've been attacked. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. My apologies, Baron. We've been attacked. Baron grabs Aaliyah. Well, no, Aaliyah flings backwards. She backed into the Baron's arms, and then the Baron says, "I caught her." Right, right, <laughs> right. He's right. like, ha ha, I've secured her, even though she backed into him to kill him. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. And she says, I'm sorry, grandfather. Oh, you want to say this? Yeah. No, no, no. That's great. That's great. Yeah. yeah. She, she says that, I'm sorry, grandfather. You've met the Atreides, Gamjabar. <laughs> so cool. She's just like, ah ha ha, stab. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Just like a little nick on him. Yeah. She, and then, she you kind of reminds me of all of those, like, magnets and spencer's gifts or something that are like um the people in my head are hilarious or something like i'm always <laughs> yeah. laughing because the people in my head are hilarious you know that are just like <laughs> weird like jokes that are really kind of creepy yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and it's awesome because it's just such a good moment it's hilarious yeah. but it's also just like so cool it is because cool. we met the Gamjabar at the very beginning of the book yeah and it's it's like Chekhov's Gamjabar. Sure. Like, we didn't get to see, you know, Paul was threatened by it, but we didn't get to see it actually get used. And then we finally, at the end of the book, get to see <laughs> Aliyah take out the Baron with the Gamjabar. Hell yeah. It rocks. So great. I know. And he dies instantly. And then the Emperor just says, these people are insane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it gets freaking turnt quick. I mean, in like a page and a half, we get the whole battle <laughs> yeah well exactly that's like typical interesting yes. dune fashion it's like in in the movie we may get like the the satisfaction of getting to see the actual battle but like in typical dune fashion it's like there's an attack he can see outside the ship mm-hmm. and he like casually goes over looks outside and he sees the sand riders which of course is so awesome the idea of like an army of sand oh riders yeah attacking the so city fucking cool but of course, this is Dune, so we just get like a peek of him seeing them, which is great. I mean, you know, I I like it that he does that. I think that's such effective no, yeah. writing, um, and it will be fun to see. It's like the book is doing its job well, and then it lets the movie do its job mm-hmm. well. So, yeah, I loved it when all of a sudden all of the sandworms are like that. All of their mouths are just open, like. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, Emperor, get back in the ship, and he he gets back into the ship, and then he sees the the guildsman who Aaliyah had hinted at, like Aaliyah had been pointing at the guildsman and been like, like Paul's gonna win, ask them, and then we see these one of these guildsmen pull out a contact was covering his Pretty eye, cool. and, and he's got the you know the blue the blue eye, bum bum bum, the darkest blue he'd ever seen. Which is yeah. cool. And then he's like, summon Count Fenring. Yeah, so I wanted to revisit that quote where they talk about Count Fenring. Because it says, The measure of Count Fenring's friendship may be seen in a positive thing. He allowed the Lanzarad's suspicions after the Arrakis affair. It cost more than a billion Solaris in spice bribes, so my mother said... And there were other gifts as well, slave women, royal honors, and tokens of rank. The second major evidence of the Count's friendship was negative. He refused to kill a man, even though it was within his capabilities, and my father commanded it. I will relate this presently. 
So pretty cool because right. this is just a story. When we read that quote, we didn't know what they were talking about. Right. And now we get to see it happen. Yeah, I thought that was very neat. Yeah, so we're now we're into the final chapter, and we have an Irulan quote at the beginning that I feel, and I might be wrong about this, but I feel is kind of hinting at the Paul that could be, like the Paul that people are afraid of, like that maybe after this we don't get the peaceful version of Moadib that we think that like yeah. it might be building up to. Mm-hmm. Because they say, remember we speak now of the Moadib who ordered battle drums made from his enemy's skins. Oh, yeah. I feel like it kind of puts in question what kind of Paul we're kind of memorializing in this in, in these Irulan quotes. Like, are we talking about a peaceful religious leader? Are we talking about like a wartime general, essentially, who like who who led attacks and was actually kind of this cruel person that we were that they were afraid of right or are we talking about like a peaceful joining of power that led people to a a great and uh fruitful arrakis exactly (laughs) which is kind of the dream we're left with or i think that's the dream that irulan sees and that paul's trying to make happen but it is interesting that yeah, there's all this other reality happening at the same time. We get a glimpse of, and well, I mean, this is jumping jumping ahead uh, to the kind of the end of the book, but we kind of get an idea that like Irulan's place in all this is not going to be. No, they're so cruel. <laughs> to yeah, her. yeah, it's not going to be great. So like her her vision of Paul is very like documentarian like right like she's she's just kind of coldly reporting these situations like this story so i don't know that she's fondly remembering paul right stories right but i'm just saying that there was a strong impression i mean i would say that's why irulan kind of volunteered herself anyway is she Mm -hmm. kind of saw that this was a natural passing of power well, she's also, she's, you know, Benny Jesuit, yeah. and, like, totally Benny Jesuit, which is, like, the, the attitude yeah. of Benny Jesuit is, like, this is, this is the, this is what has to be done. Right. This is my job. This is what's next. Yes. But, yeah, I mean, I, okay, so I guess I felt like there was this jihad versus um, something, it felt very, like, East versus West, the way he was presenting mm-hmm. it, which I was, like, uh, I don't know about that exactly, like, because mm-hmm. I don't really trust that. <laughs> a Western style of power like leads to peace. (laughs) Exactly. So I was a little skeptical of that anyway. So yeah, I mean, I think that's what I like about this. It's so interested in how power works and Mm -hmm. what a leader is. And I guess that's why I'm, I, I'm disappointed that the next book doesn't like go on to describe (laughs) what he does exactly. (laughs) Or if it does, it's not quite as, uh, compelling but i'll say again this these are more thoughts of like the for after the book but i almost like the idea of this being left completely open-ended and there not being any further books i like the idea of us not really knowing what happens next and just like knowing the possibilities which is kind of what paul is like he's he's like about possibilities he's not really he doesn't know what happens next cool all right so we're in we're in this final chapter we're in the Arakin governor's mansion. And then, yeah, Paul calls for the emperor to make his demands. Also, Raban was killed. Yes. And just a throwaway <laughs> that's just like, a, oh, yeah, Raban was killed. Yeah, I know. Raban is another one I'd like just a little mini series on. 
Yeah. So then Gurney is kind of noticing, everybody's starting to notice that there's been a change in Paul. And this is the first time that Paul's kind of privileged. You know, the Duke's big moment was saving people over Spice. And now Paul is like worried about the tools or something like that. Some kind of like material thing. And Gurney's like, when did we start caring about things when people were at stake? And yeah, so it's kind of, mm-hmm. there's a bit of a, mm-hmm. a gap there where, so you know, they've been so simpatico up till now. This chapter, while, you know, obviously it's pretty awesome, it's also, like, so insanely rushed because it has to get out so many things Yeah, in such a short amount of time. Like, Paul hints that maybe Gurney, he'll lose Gurney as a friend the way he lost Stilgar. Yeah. There was a moment where he, where Stilgar seemed just too impressed with Paul. <laughs> he was just, like, awestruck. And so I think he felt like all of a sudden he had no... The power dynamic was completely off. Um, mm. There wasn't, like, an exchange anymore. That he's gone, like, full religious on him. Um, which isn't really fair because Paul is displaying all this strange behavior. So it's like... The demonization of the Fremen turning religious in this, I find aggravating since Paul is, <laughs> has magical powers. Right. <laughs> like ha- if, if he was a regular guy who tricked, if he had just relied on the Missionaria Protectiva to manipulate them, that'd be another thing. But he's like not admitting to them or to himself that they have reason to be as completely compelled by him as he, they are. Right. So right. I, yeah, I find that, I find that like a gap and I wasn't totally satisfied with like the answer for that. Mm-hmm. Just Paul's condescension towards it. I was like, what the heck? Although I guess you could read it from really just like Paul being a normal guy who's struggling with the loss of friendship and that's more what it is. But, you know, the repeated use of jihad is like a, a negative thing where the Fremen are just kind of willfully blind and are going to just do whatever they need to because of the story. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like you said, I think it was just that there's too much in the chapter. So it's telling both of those things at once, but like kind of conflates it, if that makes sense. And he asked Gurney for a quote. Oh, yeah, that's right. He asked Gurney Gurney for a quote and and Gurney gives him a dark one. Well, it's true. Gurney is like got his finger on the pulse right now because he, yeah, he says, and the victory that day was turned into mourning and to all the people for the people heard say that day how the king was grieved for his son. And Paul's like, shut up. (laughs) Shut up. I'm not thinking about that right now. Yeah, he's withholding his grief like he withheld his grief for his father. Uh Uh-huh. And Gurney seems to be like, Paul, I think that this is very negatively affecting you, and it will be so much that it will go down in history. Right. So he gets the emperor out there. Well, okay, I had a question, because Aaliyah Mm -hmm. makes herself known in his awareness. Mm -hmm. And she tells him just, like, she just talks to him. So he's like, Mm -hmm. hey, here's what's that. Um, Was she not able to do that before? Like, what happened that she was now able to do that? The way I read it, and and I don't I don't understand the timing of it is what uh-huh. I don't understand. Aaliyah, like like she says, she can't. It's more complicated than telepathy. She can't just show, make herself aware. So she shows up in one of Paul's visions of the future. Right. So Aaliyah can be in his vision of the future, talking about the past, which is his present, which is pretty cool. Weird as shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's cool, but also just like weird. And yeah. yeah, I don't know how. Like, is it just a matter of like Paul? 
once that version of reality sets in, that possibility of, of future sets in, that's when Paul can see it. And so that's why it takes him so long mm. to, to, to actually get the message is because he has to wait for that, that pathway to appear to him. Yeah. Okay, and it that does, makes so, sense. Yeah. It's cool. It's very like a video game where all of a sudden you have this <laughs> thing and you're like walking down. Like, and then there's an Aaliyah and she gives you another clue. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, so he like essentially knows what they're going to find on the ship, on the Emperor's ship. Yeah. And then the Sardaukar are there. They find out that Thufur is among them. This is when he loses respect for Stilgar. He's talking about Kaladin and he says, it's a place where water falls from the sky. And Stilgar goes, water falls from the sky? And is like, he whispers it. And <laughs> he says... Uh, that Stilgar had been transformed from the Fremen Naib to creature of the Lisan al Gaib, a receptacle for awe and obedience. But oh. he could have said that about Kaladin, like when he met him. Like it's just rain. Right. But I guess it's Stilgar's reaction to it or something. But he, like, all of a sudden he just he says, I have seen a friend become a worshiper. I get the move. It just it just feels very rushed, and I don't understand why that one moment is, like, where he just decides that that's what he's become. Yeah, it's very telling us. So, yeah, that's that's when he gets the Emperor in there. Um, this is when he says he's the Kisat Tatarak. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he decided, I suppose now he's decided that his plan of action is to marry into the Emperor's family and take the throne. Um, right. And that's what he's going to do. And Jessica is now Team Chani. She's like, Right. Why are you doing this? Which is a little aggravating, but also good. I'm glad that she's finally right. like on that side. And then Chani enters and she's crying, obviously. Of course. Uh, because their son's dead, mm-hmm. which is too bad. And that's about all they ever say to each other. But, and Paul doesn't fill her in on this new plan. <laughs> Well, I mean, Chani does eventually comment like, "Well, you want me? You want? Do you me want to me to leave? leave? I just like, yeah. should I get out of here? <laughs> yeah. Though, yeah, that's that's when Paul says like he might lose Gurney too, the way he lost Stilgar, losing a friend to gain a creature. Right. I feel like the other thing that hasn't been developed enough is like a fear of the guild, which I assume yes. will go later. But like they kind of hint at the guild's power. Yeah, they don't really get all the way there. Where I'm not, I'm not really scared of them, you know? Right. They feel like the emperor. Like, I don't yeah. see the difference. They're outside of this kind of circle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are some guild people, too, demanding special privileges, threatening an embargo against Arrakis. I told them I'd give you their message. Let them threaten. Uh, Jessica says, Paul, he's talking about the guild. And Paul says, I'll pull their fangs presently. I know. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. Paul, he's talking about the guild. That's when I was like, what, the guild? Like, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, they kind of describe the guild and how they've become totally dependent on Spice. Yeah, I mean, they're talking to the guildsmen. And then that's when Paul finally gets to, like, reveal his plan that he'll destroy the Spice, uh, which he right. loves to say. And he, right. like, kind of tricks them into saying it, where he's like, and would you agree that I have control over the uh, the ability to destroy the spice? And they're like, yes. And he says, wouldn't you agree that that would make me very powerful? And they're like, yes. I don't know. I just think <laughs> it's funny. Like, he thinks that this is such a trump card. And it is. But, like, I think it's funny how many times he's explained this plan. Yeah. And they're kind of like, you would be nothing without the guild. You, you need us and you need us on spice. And he's essentially like, well... 
no, you you need the spice. People will learn to operate without the spice. It will just take time. You just can't do it without the spice. You're mm-hmm. once you take spice, you're fucked. You're addicted. Mm-hmm. But people will come along that don't need the spice in order to do what you do. So I'm not afraid of that. And that's yes. when they're like, "Well, shit, he's got us." <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, they say that detoxing from spice, I guess you go blind and then he also says that he could destroy it out of spite or ennui, which is another sign of emo Paul. Like, I yeah. do think he's, like, more, like, My Chemical Romance vibes than anything <laughs> right now. Yeah. I can just imagine him with, like, dark, dark eyeliner. Yeah, totally. And then, yes, now the Emperor's in. Because Thu- Thufer comes first. Yes. Because Paul had, we had a little glimpse of it. Paul had a vision of Thufer with a poison needle. Mm-hmm. He had a vision of, like, Thufer turning on him and, and, and possibly killing him. Or, right. or he just saw Thufer with a poison needle meant for him. Yes. Uh, and that's what we get. We get Thufer coming in. They have a little exchange. And then Thufer shows him the needle. Yes. And he's like, I'm honor bound to you. I would, Of course, I'm not going to use this needle on you. Yes. And he lets the poison that's in him that's been killing him for five days, which just sounds real dark, that has <laughs> been killing him for this long. Uh-huh. And then he just like dies right there. Yes. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, because he, he comes in. We're like, oh, my God, is he going to stab him? Then he apologizes to Jessica, and then he, like, reveals the needle, and he's like, oh, I've been in a trade. Well, first he says Paul reminds him of the old Duke, and then he's, like, holding him. It's a very, like, Eponine in Les Miserables <laughs> moment where uh-huh. he's, like, holding him in the rain. He's like, is there pain, old friend? There is pain, my Duke. Yeah. But the pleasure is greater. The pleasure is greater. <laughs> See, Majesty! And he's uh, like yelling at the emperor across the room. <laughs> See, oh, traitor's needle. And it's one of those like, oh, that moment makes Thufer like a little yeah. cooler because he isn't just totally selfish. I go back to a question that I think you asked like a million episodes ago where you thought you were asking, do I think Thufer liked Paul's grandfather more than his father? Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. I think he does. And that's what that that's what makes his comparison to him at this moment. Like he's like you're more yeah. like your grandfather, and I think you're right. I think he he appreciated the first mm-hmm. Duke more. Thuver's still a piece of shit, though. I still think that like a lot of the things he does are yeah. just really fucked up. I agree, but a little bit redeeming that he decides not to kill Paul in this moment. Yeah, I think he was just jaded or something. Yeah, but yes, yeah. I agree. At least he has a moment. Yeah, and so then he starts to discuss with the Emperor the relationship to Spice. Like, I can hear the way Paul says majesty. <laughs> I, I Just the way it's written is so awesome, because they're just, like, waiting in this silence after Thufur uh-huh. dies. And then it just says, majesty, Paul said, and noted the jerk of surprised attention in the tall princess royal. The words had been uttered with the Bene Gesserit-controlled atonals, carrying it in every shade of contempt and scorn that Paul could put there. Just like, it's just like such a cool, just delivery of one word. Right. And it's such a good meeting of, he's conveying to the emperor that he like sees how fucked up he's been. I mean, because he's basically facing off the person who destroyed his family (laughs) or allowed that to happen. And then they argue about the, the you know, the convention, <laughs> the atomics convention. Yeah, like, cut that part. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. 
Paul says, I wanted to ask your explanation for some of your strange activities, <laughs> which I thought was a good mm-hmm. euphemism for like trying to have the Harkonnens betray the Atreides. <laughs> so yeah, this this is when we get into like the, the threat of getting rid of uh-huh. the spice. Paul's being like very confident. Very right? confident. Then he turns his, his anger to uh, Mohayim. Mm-hmm. Reverend Mother Guy is Helen Mohayim, who he never forgave. <laughs> He's got uh-huh. like this boyhood hatred. Yeah, it's been a long time since Caladan, uh-huh. hasn't it? Like, yeah, which goes back to that, like, Jessica telling him that she'll never forget her, oh, yeah. like, experience and her hate, her, the hatred she has for the exact same experience. And then Paul never will. Another, like, My Chemical Romance moment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Just like everybody else has moved on and he's like, remember me. And then Mohayim like gives Jessica what for. She's like, well, Jessica, I see that your son is indeed the one. For that, you can be forgiven even the abomination of your daughter, <laughs> which seems like she's kind of trying to establish more dominance over her. Yeah. Like, I'm I, like, I'm your boss yeah. still. And Paul says, you've never had the right or cause to forgive my mother. <laughs> and then she goes, silence him. And Jessica says, silence him yourself. <laughs> Try your tricks with me, old witch. Where's your gom jabar? Try looking into that place where you dare not look. You'll find me there staring at Damn. you. The old woman dropped her gaze. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> like, she's like, fully like, yeah, you're she's right. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> Fuck, okay. <laughs> he he is like, essentially telling her, you, you fucked up. The Bene Gesserit yeah. fucked up. I'm what you've been trying to create for so mm-hmm. long. But I'm not what you want me to be. You can't control yeah. me. Which, what do you think they conceived of? Right. I don't know. Like, what? It seems crazy that for, what What do you think? It's been thousands of years. 90 generations, they said. Yeah. yeah. That's insane. Yeah. So, yeah, that's probably a thousand years. They're trying to, like, create this <laughs> messiah they can control, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, but, I mean, how would they ever be able to control... Like, if you initially know it has to be a man who does... it, Like, it has to be an other, basically, who can do mm-hmm. this. Why would you ever assume you have any kinship or control over them? That's right. me. Like, you're giving away all your power like by setting it up like that. Why, why wouldn't they know it would backfire? I don't know. <laughs> no. They build themselves... As a religion of science, kind of. But I, but like, yeah. I'm curious where the prophecy started and like what the whole idea behind the prophecy was. Yeah, like what did they see coming? Yeah, who told them that this is what would happen? <laughs> yep, Irlan's been watching. Paul intimates that he would like to marry her, and mm-hmm. the emperor. People keep calling Paul an adventurer. Is like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> derogatory. <laughs> like two different people call him an adventurer. Like he's Indiana Jones or something. Yeah, which would be cool. Yeah, he's Indiana Jones just swinging in on his, like, whip rope or whatever. So, yeah, and, like, Irlan kind of, like, she doesn't really get to say very much, but she's essentially just, like, maybe twice she says, like, yeah, no, I can marry him. Yeah, no, I'm cool with that. She sees the potential in Paul pretty quickly. Right. Because she's, you know, pretty aware, like, pretty smart. Yes, scholarly, and yeah, that's just the impression of Irlan is that, yeah, she's incredibly smart, she's noble, she's, like, kind of duty-bound, but in a very self-possessed way. Gurney wants to get some Harkonnen revenge. 
Well, okay, I really like this part between Paul and Jessica where Paul's, uh-huh. like, she reminds him that it's part of their agreement to place a Bene Gesserit on the fl- throne, and Irlan is the one they've groomed to it. And Brett Jessica says, oh, was that their plan? And Paul is like, isn't it obvious? And Jessica's like, I see the signs! <laughs> and, like, she was just, she says that she was just being sarcastic to remind him that that's what he, she's been telling him this entire time. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. I love that. And she's just like, oh, yeah. really, Paul? <laughs> Thanks, Mr. Muadib. I had no idea. <laughs> so I really like that. Yeah, and so now, yeah, Gurney's, like, hungry to kill a Harkonnen. Yeah, because it's right at that at exchange between Paul and Jessica. And then Gurney, like, just leans in between them. And he's like, <laughs> it yeah, just felt does. very comical yes. that they're, like, having this moment that, like, Gurney's face just shows up between them. And he's like... Uh, I'll remind you, my lord. (laughs) Yes. That there's a Harkon in here and he wants his revenge. He wants to, he wants Uh to kill Fade. (laughs) This kind of frustrated me. This little fight? I don't know why they can't, like, I want Gurney to get his revenge. (laughs) I know, we've already seen Paul hand-to-hand combat. We, like, of course he's gonna I'm not worried about him dying. I don't need that. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been great to see Gurney and I would have actually been legitimately worried for Gurney. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I know it is annoying, and they really have to like go through semantics about why Gurney can't do this. Well, and that's what I think. So this is this is my my theory here is that I think Frank Herbert maybe like couldn't figure it out. Like he wanted Gurney to get his yeah. chance, and he also wanted to have a final fight between Paul and and Fade. And he couldn't figure it out, so he came up with this Conley thing. Conley, yeah, I imagine um, Fade just like pulling back a curtain and being like Conley, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, it's out of nowhere. <laughs> right. You don't see him yet, and he's just like, Ha-ha-ha. he calls out Conley. Yeah, it's so dumb. But yeah, I think you're right that he was just like, okay, I guess I need to invent a new concept for why Gurney can't. I mean, Conley is just, like, a concept that's in so much fantasy well, and sci-fi. Well, it's like, what's like it called his... in pirate lore? Par- a parlay. parlay. Yeah. yeah. Where you, like, demand a parlay and they have to put down their guns and, like, let you talk to the captain. <laughs> parlay! What a great concept. That's a good one for dueling. Okay, well, so what do you mean? What's it in fantasy? But just the the idea of a, of a one-on-one duel. And it's used, it's used, I think, like, as a device so people can give an excuse for characters to have a one-on-one fight without anybody else intervening. So you can have this, like, one-on-one battle. I can't even think of a specific instance right now. I just know I've seen it used in lots, lots of mm-hmm. movies where, like, it's just this little duel thing that someone yells out and it's just like a challenge. I challenge you to a yeah. duel, essentially. And everyone's like, okay, well, we've got to let these two duke mm-hmm. it out. And Gurney is not happy yeah. about it. And I don't blame Aww. him. And I'm kind of mad at Paul. Too. It's annoying when he like one ups his trauma where he's yeah. like, um, but my sister, I really needed to avenge her. I spent all those years in the slave pits. <laughs> and Paul's yeah. like, uh, uh, my father. <laughs> yeah, that pissed me off too. Especially right after Paul being like, oh, am I going to lose Gurney as a friend? Well, now you are. Probably dick. should. Like, yeah, that was like a shit move. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's a cool fight. It is a cool <laughs> fight. And it would have been weird to end on a gurney fight, but I would have liked it. Wouldn't have minded. Well, okay, we'll get to we'll get to the end and then I'll and then I'll tell you what I would have rather seen. Okay, happen. great. 
Yes, so they have their fight. Well, I like that Gurney asks twice, is this religious prattle? He says uh-huh. it twice. Yeah. I think that's yeah. so funny. That's right. Why, why is he doing this? Does he think to get get himself killed and achieve martyrdom? <laughs> the Fremen religious prattle. So Paul uses his training to let Faye just show all of his yeah. hand. Like, he just doesn't... Faye keeps talking. He lets him talk. Fade makes a few uh, attempts. He kind of just jumps out of the way to kind of get an idea of what Fade's tells are. The whole time he's like, this guy's tricky. He's been trained lots of ways, so I shouldn't be able... I shouldn't trust these fir- first few moments. Mm-hmm. And he's right, because Fade is faking a lot of it to lure him in. He doesn't have poison on his blade, but he has a sedative. Yeah, and so Paul also nips him with the blade to, like, give him a taste of his own medicine, literally, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and he has acid on yeah. his blade. So Paul's also cheating. Yeah, because <laughs> Fade, well, Fade yells out, he's cheating, yeah, he's yeah. cheating, I feel poison yeah, on the blade. That's hilarious. And Paul's like, <laughs> yeah, like the sedative I felt on your blade. <laughs> Which when he got, he got cut, he felt the sedative, and he changed the molecular pretty structure d- of the sedative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's pretty that crazy. That was awesome. So he's cheating in a way that he has these crazy powers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Fade has these, like, this little, like, blades on his yeah. hips that I like the idea of, like, him, sh- like, swishing his hip. Yeah, to, he like, could just, like, swish hip into somebody's uh, stomach and kill them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would suck. So he's got it on, he's got it on both sides and he's been trying to trick Paul into favoring one side so that he can get him with the other. Yeah, and Sting was such a good casting for this because, I mean, he's it's oh, yeah. so dancey. Like, it does just seem like this is a ballerina, honestly. Like, he has, like, yeah. ballerina level skills. I just imagine him whipping around and, like... It's a pretty cool fight. I like the way that, like, Paul goes over his training in his head. I like that it's all, like, pretty much told from, like, Paul's point of view. I like that he calls him a yokel duke. Yeah, yokel duke. <laughs> <laughs> but the, then Paul just like gets him. Paul just, Paul just shoves like, <laughs> He shoves the knife up through his uh jaw into his brain. <laughs> yeah, like into his like under his jaw into his brain. It's like he's been bored this entire time and he's just like okay and then just shoves it. <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah, pretty great. Slid home into the brain. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> And that's when the emperor is like... He orders Count Fenring to kill him. Yeah, and then, I mean, it gets really wild because Paul, like, realizes that Count Fenring is, like, maybe the generation before him of Kisat Sadarak. <laughs> he was, like, the, yeah, the prototype, like, the Kisat Sadarak uh, prototype, like, he came before mm-hmm. him. And it's weird because... so. Did I miss the fact that he's a eunuch? Fenring's a eunuch. Well, they, no, they before this. <laughs> no, I don't think they mentioned that at all. Although they hinted yeah. at it with Lady Fenring, like needing to sire a child with Fade. Right, that's yeah. true because they because they're childless. Yeah. I just figured old sperm, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, he's a eunuch. Yeah, because it seems as a real old man, not this dangerous thing that like the the emperor sees him as like this, like oh, he's, he's real my dangerous. Secret weapon. He's my secret weapon. It's kind of hinted that he was a failure at being Quetzet Sadarak because he's a eunuch. Yeah, it's kind of harsh. What a weird, <laughs> yeah, just like a weird element. Yeah, it's all dick power. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, it was strange. And then, yeah, it says that it like contorted him, but it is cool. Then it does. I was wondering like what Count Fenring's deal was because people seem to like respect him a lot and he seemed like menacing, but yeah, it turns out he's like very powerful. He's got, yeah. you know, Benny Gesserit powers and some Kusatsaterak firepower. Yeah, yeah. it's very cool. It is cool, but it makes it a little anticlimactic. That, like, that's the moment he realizes, they essentially realize that they're so much alike that they start to have feelings for each other and, like, feel sorry for each other. And it reminds you of, like, I don't know if you saw this, don't ever watch it if you haven't, but Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice is the dumbest, it's a terrible movie, but Batman and Superman are fighting the whole time. And then at the very end, they realize that they both had mothers named Martha and that's what connects wow they probably them. got that from this stop too. fighting mother's name Mark. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that's hilarious that's yeah. very much just like it's we need to end so this dumb. movie it's so dumb <laughs> yeah because they're just like yeah we get each other now i'm not gonna kill him um, i could be killing my mother and i would <laughs> never do that <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, they have, I guess they, like, have, like, some kind of secret handshake. Um, and so Fenring is just mm-hmm. like, Majesty, I refuse. Which pisses uh, Shaddam right. for off. He refuses. Paul essentially tells him, I'm going to be emperor now. You can sit on the throne at... Seleucus Secundus. Seleucus Secundus. Yeah. It's probably his just desserts. I mean, feels like he should just be stripped of the throne entirely. Oh, yeah, for sure. I could see him ejected into space. I'd be fine. He says he's going to make Arrakis into a garden full of wonderful, gentle things. Has Chani already said, like, hey, I should I get out of here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then she's like, I get it. I mean, totally. I'll just, I'll just leave. And he's like, no, I'm going to sire a bunch more sons with you, and you're my Sahaya. Which, you know, I get is probably the right thing to do, but it also... I don't know. It feels more touching when Jessica talks to her. Okay, so I had kind of a problem with the last paragraph, but we'll get there in a second. Um, Because I do like that Paul demands the entire Chome company holdings. Yeah, the Chome company holdings as a dowry. (laughs) He's just like, I'll just take it all. Right. Well, it's the emperor's entire Chome company holdings. So it's like, he just essentially is becoming the new emperor. Entire? She was shocked, almost speechless. He gives Gurney a chome directorship mm-hmm. and him and the fief of Caladan. Yeah, he makes uh, Stilgar the governor of Arrakis, or that's his plan. Yeah, and this is the weirdest part to me. Jessica says, and for me, is there something you wish? Perhaps Caladan, she said, looking at Gurney. I'm not certain. I've become too much the Fremen and Reverend Mother. I need time of peace and stillness yes. in which to think. I was like, why did you ask? And what are you asking? Like, it's just a weird way for her to, like... Wh- well, yeah, I felt like it was, like, up? very, oh, uh, must take care of the delicate old woman business. Because then he says, that we can give you. And if anything else, Gurney and I, he just skates over the issue that Jessica's been yearning for Kaladin for this entire book. Then he just gives it to Gurney, and she's like, she looks at Gurney, she's like, oh, I could have... I." kind of wanted kaladin (laughs) but okay yeah so she mentions kaladin 
And then she's like, okay, well, I guess that's not what you're saying, so I'll just rest on it. And he's like, yes, you may rest. And anything Gurney mm-hmm. and I can give you. I just felt like it was him yeah. saying, like, yeah, you're not getting Kaladin. I read it as her just not knowing. and She wanted Kaladin, um, I think. But but she says perhaps Kaladin, and then she says she's not certain, and then she needs time. So it's just kind of weird that she asks, what do I get? And then he's like, what do you want? And she's like... I don't know, maybe Kaladin? I don't know, ask me later. Yeah, but he also didn't, like, appoint her anything. So I don't understand the exchange to begin with. Well, right, I don't understand putting it in the book. Right. Because it's her not deciding, and it, it strikes me as Herbert not deciding. I just felt like she mentioned that after he gave Gurney Kaladin. But I don't think he's giving Gurney all of Kaladin. He's giving him a fief okay. uh, on Kaladin. I think he's just like giving him like, a house or can, something. Like, yeah, yeah, like a little, like a castle or yeah, something yeah, yeah. to do on Kaladin. Well, I'm not sure. I guess she feels like she's done her part or something. Right. And then Shawnee says that she doesn't want a title. Yeah, Jessica calls her the royal concubine. Well, and Paul says you'll need no title. And it's like, well, okay, but y'all might love each other forever, but you are getting married. And it might be good if she had a title (laughs) that she could count on. Because otherwise, you know, she just has to trust you. Yeah, which he says, like, he's not going to touch her. They're not going to have kids. It's just a marriage and name alone. Yeah. And then she and then Chani says, so you say exactly. Which, of course, is like, of course, that's what you would think. So you say now, like, how 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 can she trust him? Well, and, I mean, they're relying on this being like, no, don't worry. We're going to make Irulan's life, like, really miserable and lonely. So, on your behalf, make no mistake. <laughs> Which is a bummer. Yeah. And then Jessica tries to be the one to reassure Chani and, like, make her trust Paul. And in it, she just, like, kind of disses Irulan. Yeah, she says, that's a very cold woman. Yeah, and and just says like, well, she's good at writing books. I hope she likes writing books. That's all she's gonna have be able to do. And then she says that they'll be known in history as wives. Yes, <laughs> I yeah. I mean, I get the sentiment behind that, but I don't really. Wait, like what that. is it? Explain <laughs> it. Because <laughs> I like in I the think... movie. That's I think in the very first episode I said that I like the way the David Lynch movie ends because it's just Alia screaming. He is the Quisatzadrak. That's a cool uh-huh. ending. Right. This ending is just like, I think it's misplaced maybe. Like, it, the idea is that we'll be remembered as, as the wives, as in, like, we, we are their wives. History will remember us as their wives, even though we're not married to them. Like, I'm Duke Leto's wife, just like yours, Paul's wife. That's how history will remember us. But I don't like the, the line, history will call us wives. <laughs> like... <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah. Like, yeah, great. Okay, awesome. great. Wives. And the, and the, and, Really? Yeah. Why? Uh, history won't remember our names. They'll just be like, why? The wife of yeah. Paul. <laughs> the wife of yeah, Duplato. Exactly. Paul Moadib and, and wife. wife. Mr. and Mrs. Yeah. Paul Moadib. <laughs> right. I know. I mean, like, yeah. how does that tie together? Why is that where it ends? I suppose it's like family, love, right? That's what it is. Yeah. I think it's supposed to just be like, Jessica is resolving her internal struggle with the idea that she was a concubine and not Leto's wife. And it's also resolving like her issues with Chani and her just saying, we are both the same. We are both important. I think what's missing on both of those is kind of like what drives them. 
You know, like mm. why mm-hmm. why is it so important for them to be known as a wife? Like, are they interested yes. in what is going on politically or realistically? <laughs> you know, or is it like what what is this need to be near powerful men even or like yeah um, mm-hmm. all of that, uh, especially since they both have this Benny Gesserit history. I'd just be interested, like, even what Benny Gesserits have to say, because they clearly do take a lot of stock in marriage or, like, in mm-hmm. partnerships. And I wonder what, like, a mm-hmm. Benny Gesserit saying about being a wife is, <laughs> you know, or, like, yeah. what is that supposed to even mean? And I think there's plenty to say about it, but I don't know that he ever makes that really clear from either of their perspective, other than they're, like, in love with their men. Yeah, no, I totally hear that. Yeah, I just think that that's what the book is going for Mm -hmm. but i agree with you i think it it writes them as more passengers than you know than drivers i guess yeah which is Um, incongruous with their actual characters which i think are pretty like active and interesting and have a lot of like dimension and i can see them separately very well so like it doesn't totally track to me that they're just um totally along for the ride because of some cosmic love maybe it's cosmic love maybe that's it i don't know a lot of the next book is about Paul and Chani and Irulan and their relationship together. And yeah. Like what what happens next and the doubts and stuff. Cool. Well, I will be reading. So here's what, how I would have liked to see it uh-huh. end. And this is this is maybe ridiculous and more more of a like a cinematic thing. Uh, but I would have liked to see Gurney fight Fade. Die. And should have died. And, and maybe and maybe die. Yeah. And, and maybe die. And either. And the, either Paul goes and kills Fade, yeah. and it's like revenge, or they both die, or whatever. And then Paul and and Fenring actually do have to have some kind totally, of conflict that between cool. each other. Because mm-hmm. I feel like he had been building Fenring up yes. throughout this book, and then they just have this moment of like, no, nah, I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> we just have one more page left in the book, so we got we to right. wrap it up. I'm out of paper. I'm out of paper. <laughs> <laughs> this book is 498 pages long. That's it. <laughs> yeah. No, I I think that would have been... Both of those sound better to me, for sure. Because it would have been cool to see two Kwisat Saderach brains going against each other. And maybe they even, mm-hmm. like, accidentally go into a different universe or something. They, he traps Fenring in, like, one of these closet doors of, like, his mind palace. I think it would have been, like, Akira. Yeah. Like, that big... Oh, that big, wow. <laughs> battle and uh, like akira with the baby like a mind battle yeah well no just like the, like the mind battle that they yeah. have yeah 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 and they're all just conjuring shit and like it would have been yeah. fucking cool and then he could have built him a really fucking scary ass palace that he would have been stuck in or like some kind of fortress that he would never have been able to escape would have been cool but uh whatever yeah whatever <laughs> It still ends pretty. It does get really fun in the end, so I enjoyed the chapters for sure. Yeah, I do too. It just it just feels rushed, and I do feel that it's intentionally so. And I do think that Frank Herbert wanted to write more. Like I don't think he meant this to be a single book. Well, cool. So I guess we're gonna just wrap this up with um, yeah a little wrap up episode, and then talk about. The Dune miniseries, so that'll be in two episodes if you yeah. want to start watching that. Yep, sounds good. So we'll at least have a couple more episodes. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we had a couple people ask yeah. about this, but I don't think we're going to continue 
this podcast throughout the rest of the right. books. But who knows? Maybe we'll be back to, to talk about it more at some point. Yeah. Meanwhile, I will be reading them, I think. So anybody, oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead and email me about them because <laughs> so, I'm like yeah. very curious to see where they go. So cool. How do you want to sign off? What it, Can we yell, he is the Kwisad Sadarak? Oh, yeah. Um, It'll be a nice little like... Uh bookend because isn't that what we oh yeah it is the first mm-hmm. episode and like this yeah, book itself it. bookends quite well so all right he, he is, is the quits at satirac all right <laughs> good okay thank- good. Woo-hoo. thanks everybody bye <laughs> bye scissors in the sand